Hey folks, this is Dr. Rob, and welcome to Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction, a podcast brought to you by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs and hosted by me and my sidekick, Tammy. Say hi, Tammy. Hi, Dr. Rob. Thank you. Our show provides useful answers to your most asked questions about cheating, betrayal, and addiction. Let's get started. I was wondering if you could talk about how sex addiction harms the entire family and how it affects other aspects of their lives. Thank you. And thanks to Tammy for endless patience with my emails. You're welcome. So, but. Well, I, I don't know how Tammy to put this. I, I think, again, this came up, comes up often when I do these consultations and in treatment is, so this is the example that I have. There may be others. Um, I will often ask uh, someone who is the a sex addict in a partner relationship where they have kids. I'll say, you know, do you think you've been a good parent? And they will say, oh, yes, you know, I help them with their homework and I used to show up for games and if they did. And the problem is, is that being a good parent is not simply about what you provide your children. It's also about what you provide your spouse. You know, if I am someone who is raising two kids and I feel anxious and unheard and like, I'm not sure what's going on and blamed for someone else's behavior. I can't be the best mom or dad I can be. So one of the direct ways I think it hurts families is that if you're not present and available and supportive of your partner, then they're not able to be the best parent that they can be. Not to mention the fact uh, what, you know, when there's tension in the home or they're arguing all the time or kids don't have good role models, you know, all of that contributes. But I think the biggest sin, if you will, is not doing your job, which is to protect your family, everyone in the family. And uh, yeah, that would be my thought. Tammy? No, but it's addiction, whatever form it takes, uh, affects the entire system. Like the person is not engaged in, in real, I mean, like you cannot live in integrity. You cannot be fully present. If you're at your kid's baseball game and you think you're a good dad because you're at the baseball game, but you're swiping and what I mean, like, or thinking about, you're never really present. I mean, addiction in whatever form takes you away, gives you an escape outlet. So you aren't experiencing real emotions, real deep connection. So, so whatever form of addiction it is, you know, sex addiction is a form of of, problematic behavior, but And then, you know, like, and it isn't contagious. It's not like the kids are going to catch this, but, but that disconnect that, well, no, but like, but, but, you know, that the world isn't safe, that there isn't uh, the bandwidth by parents, whatever it is, you know, can be, you know, adult children of alcoholics, there's a group for them because, you know, because they have not gotten the nurturing and, and that they need. So, so now if, you know, if one person is, is able to be present, can the kids get enough? Yes. So it isn't, you know, like your kids are not all going to grow up. But if the person is supposed to be supporting them, isn't there, is there, but not there, that's a whole, you know, you can raise a kid by yourself, but if there's expectations on a partner that they simply do their job and they're not met, then it's going to be a whole different deal. Um, And Tammy, I do want to say, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say the entire family system, but it can be interrupted if, if, you know, people get the right support and help, it all can change, you know, like, like it's amazing how just starting to move in a different direction interrupts that problematic, it doesn't magically fix everything and, you know, but, but you start to see shifts and, you know, I I mean, recovery 
you know, can heal and, and change not just the person who's in recovery, but the entire mm-hmm. family, you know? So, and I just okay. want to say, just to add, build on what Tammy said, that addiction really is a generational issue. So you might have some kids who come out of an addictive family and they're really rigid and they're very, you know, life can only be this way because they felt like things were so out of control when they grew up. And then oftentimes I hear the sad story, well, they're all sad stories, but my kid is drinking. My kid has, you know, um, is compulsively gambling or, you know, abusing porn because the issues can come down to kids in, in many different ways. Uh, and I often tell ther- kids, I often tell parents whose kids are, you know, over 18, where you can't really affect their lives in a deep way, start saving for therapy because they're going to need it. Okay. okay, next question. Yeah, and we've got a bunch. So wife of a sex addict, 12 years, D-Day was 11 years ago, trickle disclosure over the years with no therapeutic disclosure yet uh, because my husband is in and out of therapy and in and out of addictive patterns. So he's basically got zero recovery. I have a problem with setting a bottom line boundary. That's true of lots of partners um, that, it, that if he continues this way, I can't be with him in this marriage because every time I set boundaries and talk to him about my pain, he goes into shame, depression and suicidal thoughts for weeks. And it normally takes, makes his addiction worse, but also makes my, the life for me and my kids unbearable. So I don't speak to him much about his addiction. How do I know the difference between manipulation of him not wanting me to bring this up or if this is real and how do I get past this? My CSAT says I'm sacrificing my life for him. The problem is I'm so scared of the outcome of this kind of conversations. He did have once that he was halfway out the window and I told him um, I will not go until he gets back inside. So I'm scared if he goes through with that, how do I There's it's, more. It's okay. I, I uh, deal with the this. fear? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You are being manipulated, big mm-hmm. capital I M. Agree. Because, and here's why. I have lots of shame for my behavior, but why don't I feel ashamed when I'm seeing sex workers? Why don't I feel ashamed when I'm looking at porn every day? Why don't I feel ashamed when I went out during COVID and had sex with all these people and then went home to my family? That's where the shame lies. If you bring it up, all you're doing is reminding someone of what they already know. And besides, it's not fair for you to edit um, your feelings uh, and the reality of what you're going through to make somebody else feel okay. Um, your job is to take care of you and your family. So, you know, if it were me, I, I would set different boundaries. I don't think the boundaries you're setting are helpful because this person knows how to manipulate you, um, obviously, because you're still questioning after a long time whether you have the right to say what you need to say. You know, you are not responsible if your husband wants to jump out a window. That's up to him. But I will say this to you. Your boundaries are not um, solid enough. If it were me, I would change the locks. I would tell this person, you know, I can't live with you anymore. Let me talk to a lawyer. Um, In other words, I would make more concrete and very clear. Words mean nothing now. And especially if you're being... If, if he or she's got you wrapped around their finger because every time you bring up what makes you unhappy and makes you crazy, they go into, I can't hear it. Again, if they can do what they do, then they can hear what you have to say. And if they can't hear what you have to say, then you need to take an action to protect yourself and your sanity because this is uh, awful. And by the way, you have a professional in your life who sounds like knows what they're doing, who said to you, Um, You're sacrificing your life for this person. And by the way, if you have kids, they are watching this. 
They are watching your manipulation, your unhappiness, your hopelessness. They are living with that. And by the way, when dad, I guess it's dad, gets depressed and ashamed and shuts down, your kids are watching that too. So if you can't protect yourself with more clear boundaries, if you are willing to sacrifice your life on the altar of someone else, at least protect your children. If you just look at it in terms of them, you understand that you need to take a more clear action um, than the one you're taking. So, um, Tammy? I go back to what Dr. Robbins said at the very beginning. Nothing you can do or not do is, is, it affects him. It, it, I agree with Dr. Rob, 100% manipulation, because look what it does. It completely, like you avoid those conversations that he doesn't want to have. And 11 years right. later, he hasn't done anything to make your household safe for you and for your children. So, so um, what do you, boundaries are for your safety. They're not punitive. They're not, you know, to scold him. And if the absolute worst happens, like if he does choose to kill himself, it's his choice ultimately. And I hate that, but, but, and it's horrible for your children, but it is never going to be your fault You've, you know, he's got, he's got opportunities. You have a CSAT. I'm sure he's got access to, you know, qualified help as well, choosing not to do it. So, and what better way to manipulate you than by saying, and by the way, I have clients who threaten suicide. I have clients who have done things to indicate they're suicidal. But let me tell you, as a whole, addicts are far too narcissistic and far too self focus to ever truly hurt ourselves. I'm not tempting anyone to go do it, but let me just say this. If you, and it can be absolutely true, you may be with someone who is so pained, so ashamed, so hopeless that they don't want to live when these things are brought up. That's what residential treatment is for. That's what we do this for. If someone is unable to hear, even hear, no less be responsible for their behavior and they're putting it back, on you as a threat to their being alive, then that person needs to be in a safer environment to, where they're being monitored and supported and pierced in order to deal with this. And I have no problem taking someone into residential treatment who is suicidal or has great shame. That is the whole point of having a contained environment. And then you get to go to your therapy and work through your anger, your hurt, because what about your pain? And what do you have to keep stuffing that inside of you because you're worried about them? If you're worried about them, send them to us and we'll be glad to have a contained environment for them to begin to look at their shame and their desire to not live. That's why we are here. Let's move on. Okay. Yeah, I'm working on it. So um, how does the IFS, so internal family systems model benefit the sex addict? I'm having issues with coming to grips with accepting that the parts all have good intentions, meaning that it seems like IFS takes the addict away from owning their behavior. So I would not use IFS, internal family systems, at all, period, until someone was truly sober or working on it. There is only one form of therapy, research-based, that works with addicts. It is called cognitive behavioral therapy. That's what works. It, and the, how do I know that? Because there is no research that tells us, and there's been plenty of research on addiction, There is no research that tells us that there is any other form, whether it's analysis or Jungian or IFS or any, that is effective in the treatment of addiction. Now, if somebody has underlying issues like trauma, 
that they are unable to work through without acting out, then that's what, again, what residential treatment is for people who are unable to gain sobriety on their own. But I want you to understand something about being a therapist. Our work by its own nature, asking someone to examine themselves and look at their past, is going to raise anxiety. So any form of therapy you take on is going to make someone uncomfortable and anxious. That's the nature of therapy. When you bring things up, they're uncomfortable. People get anxious. If you're using a different model, that person, let me say it this way. If someone doesn't have the ability to put a foundation under their anxiety, their fears, their trauma, whatever, then they can't do that work until they have stability. How could I look at myself and my underlying issues and how the different parts of me relate to each other if I can't get sober, if I'm still doing the things that cause me to have shame? There's just not a place for this. Now, in addiction treatment, I might say, you know, you've got this little kid inside who's banging around and asking for attention and you end up acting out over it. Yeah, I might use a piece of that toward addiction healing, but I would never take that on as a primary method when someone is really struggling with acting out. Um, either their trauma triggers them back into acting out, which means they need a, a more contained environment, or they're going barking up the wrong tree. And so I do agree with your frustration. It's a very good form of therapy for a whole bunch of things, but not when you're dealing with addiction directly. Or early on, I, you know, for, yeah. for the later work, you know, it's like the, like we have the attachment wounds and the inner child work but people need to start with sex addiction 101, porn addiction 101, and then they can start doing some of those other things after they've got a foundation, you know, on which to build. So it's the same as medical okay, care. Next you know, point. you don't, yeah. anyway, go ahead. You get it. Question regarding your reply to someone last week about abuse. Don't you consider that deceit, lies, gaslighting, darvo, cheating, betraying, blah, 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 are all abusive behaviors? Yes. Sure. The definition of abuse is to use or treat uh, so as to injure uh, or damage. I don't know about rape the person asked about, but isn't there something abusive or coercive about having sex with someone without full knowledge of what they're doing, including but not limited to them having unprotected sex with others, which may have resulted, I think they said okay, in pregnancy so or something. Okay, now I, now I, can, I can take anyway, this yeah. on because Tammy and I absolutely talked about this last week. And so maybe, let me be very clear. The way some therapists are approaching the treatment of addiction is with an assumption that addicts are predators like criminals and sociopaths. And that is not my experience in doing 30 years of work. There certainly are some people, I think I would count on maybe this hand in 30 years, the number of maybe two <laughs> out of seeing literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people in my doing this work that are really unredeemable. I've seen a couple of people who really should be in prison. But, but this whole concept of because I have been abusive to you, lied to you, it is abusive. It isn't okay. I am destroying your sense of self. It is deceitful and lying and all of that. But that doesn't mean I'm a sociopath. Every addict in their bloom of their addiction, whether it's an alcoholic or a gambler or a sex addict, is being abusive, is gaslighting, is cheating, is betraying and insulting. Every addict. But this concept that that sex addicts in particular are perpetrators and sociopaths, I, that doesn't make sense to me. Alcoholics are doing the same thing. Gamblers are doing the same things. We all lie and cheat in order to protect our addiction so we can keep doing it. But when you say someone's a sociopath and is going to be a perpetrator for the rest of their lives, it doesn't leave room for hope. 
it doesn't leave room for healing. So yes, I think people can act in certain ways when they are really, you know, screwed up by addiction, if you will. But that doesn't mean that's who they are. It means that's how they acted in order to protect their addiction. Um, so no, I don't think any of those behaviors are okay. And I do think they're abusive, but I don't think that that means that this person is anything until they've been evaluated and assessed and treated. And so I don't assume that A plus B equals C. I assume that A plus B equals a real problem that we have to examine. Um, so I don't like labels. Uh, addict is a good one, but I certainly don't believe in labeling people before they've really had a chance to demonstrate healing and responsibility. So um, there are two different things going on and both, and they are similar, but they are not directly the same. I don't know, Tammy, do you, can you clarify that? More? I do, because I love that this person said that the, the behaviors are abusive. Absolutely. But to make it you, that that person is abusive or is an abuser, that, that predatory, you know, sociopath, whatever, the, those labels, because it, it feels like it comes then from the a person is doing it intentionally with, you know, with every, and I know to partners, it feels like they're doing it intentionally. And I agree with you that they are absolutely preserving their ability to act out because they don't know any other way in their brokenness. The behaviors are, you know, are absolutely abusive to themselves, to their relationship, to you, to everybody. And why it's so hurtful and why it blows my mind that people sit on the fence about, you know, getting help, you know, like you can have life differently if you're willing, you know, if you're willing to step into it, but taking the hope out of, you know, cause then you're, I mean, if you're really an abuser, you are, you, you, you are a sociopath. You're always going to be that. Now, maybe you can learn to do things differently, but it keeps that relationship, you know, never as a partnership of working on healing together. So that's my, I, I want to add one thing tonight which sure. is, and I think Cammie would agree with this, that either end of the spectrum, if yes. a therapist or a professional thinks, oh, it's no big deal, you know, they're, they're just whatever, or it's a marital problem, you work it out, they're not doing their job. And anyone who's at this end, which is, says a person is unredeemable and there'll always be a perpetrator, they're not doing their job. And I'll tell you that I, and I'll just tell you very confidentially, <laughs> it's not really confidential, I have trained Every single one of those therapists who are out there saying this, extensively trained. And I will tell you, and without naming any names, that they're angry people. They are holding their own issues inside and they are directing their own unhappiness onto the person who has the problem. And I don't think those people have done enough self-examination to provide the kind of treatment that's required in this circumstance. You have to know yourself. You have a therapist who doesn't hasn't done a lot of work on themselves, they're going to play that out with their clients. And that's most often what I see when they really go after these people as being unredeemable. Uh, I just don't believe it in most cases. No, we've seen hey, too Tammy, many helpful cases. Can I run to the restroom yes. real quick? You know, I'm a little older and I, but I'll be Would right Would you back. please mute? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yes, I'll mute. <laughs> Thank you. My wife wants seem, seems to want perfection from me in my recovery. How is that possible when I'm far from perfect? It isn't possible. We're all humans. We're, we're, not, we're not perfect in any way, shape, or form. Hopefully, um, as part of your recovery process, you are working the 12 steps, which gives you a means. You know, one through nine is cleaning up the wreckage of our past. 
10, 11, 12 is taking care of the daily stuff. So, you know, if every day I'm doing my 10th step and I'm taking my, um, my evaluation, I have the opportunity to make amends wherever I need to. But, you know, I, I've been doing this a while. I'm sure as heck not perfect. Like there now, do I do my recovery perfectly? Uh, on one aspect? Yes. The alcohol and drugs. Absolutely. The eating disorder, that was a more of a challenge. And are there days I eat better than other days? Yes. Now, do I go into full-blown, you know, whatever? But, you know, I mean, so it's completely different. But to expect perfection, and I think it would, I think it would be interesting to have the conversation, like, and not in a heated way, but to have a conversation, you know, of, and, and tell, tell me what you're looking for and tell me, you know, tell me where that's coming from, because I am confident that there's fear for, from her. You know, can I really trust that you're doing what you need to do to keep us safe? So what is it that you can do rather than, you know, then she wants perfection and I can't do that. And either throwing in the towel or getting angry at her, you know, having the dialogue of how can I support you? What is it that you're looking for from me? How can I show accountability? I'm human. I'm not going to be perfect. And any, I mean, there's not one thing that we as humans do that is completely perfect, but how can I do the best I can. I love that our program is called seeking integrity. We seek integrity. We don't ever achieve a hundred percent perfection and integrity, you know, on this planet. So, so what do we do on a daily basis is work towards that clean up, you know, when we need to, you know, and continue to learn and grow. So hopefully that's helpful. What are your thoughts? Well, I wrote a whole book about this called out of the dog house, a relationship saving guide for men caught cheating. Um, I do think, and we teach a course in it. And I think, and, and let me put it this way. Um, a couple of things. Number one, um, I completely understand that as a spouse, once I get sober and I seem to be on the path, what you expect is now I'm going to be more relational, more engaged. I'm going to be compassionate. I'm going to have empathy. I'm going to be the person you wanted me to be. And the answer is, you know, an asshole is an asshole. A sober asshole is a sober asshole. Excuse me, Tammy. Um, I need to learn a lot of skills in order to be emotionally available to you and, and sometimes even uh, not dismissive. My acting out was the leading way in which I avoided reality. But now that I'm in reality, as much as you deserve it and as much as you should have it, that doesn't mean I know how to treat you with compassion and kindness. You deserve it, but I'm just barely struggling with being a decent human being and telling the truth. It could be a while a year or more before I, in therapy, in 12-step program, Ms. Tammy said, before I become a better person. Um, the reason I wrote out of the doghouse was because I have never met a man yet who understands how to even begin to heal uh, a cheating relationship with a woman, especially because he doesn't understand what she's going through. So I did, there is a course, there are books, it's not gonna solve the problem, but he or she really needs to understand what the problem is. And as, as Tammy said, a lot of us, don't even know what it is you want. Um, so, and then what we do, we don't know how to give it. So uh, it's, we feel like we have to be perfect because uh, now we feel like we, we, you do deserve all the things that we should give you, but we don't know how. And so we kind of dismiss it. So um, yes, partners want perfection. No, you will never be perfect, but you can be more compassionate, more engaged, more empathic um, so that your partner feels like you're on the right road. 
And I can tell you one evening of the right words and the right exchange will reduce a lot of that person's desire for you to be perfect because they will feel like there, there is progress. You may have some work to do on becoming more empathic and more respectful. Um, that you can learn. We teach it. I wrote about it. Feel free. Thank you for listening to this episode of Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction. If our words have led you to seek help, please reach out. You can always find us at www.seekingintegrity.com.